if you would please take your Bibles. We're going to look at two passages and stay with the second one. <clears throat> but the first passage I want to look at, go to book of Colossians chapter 3. If you're visiting with us and you left your Bible at home or your cell phone at home, you can pull out the black Bible in the chair in front of you and go to the back and find page 155, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Again, page 155 in that black Bible. Colossians chapter 3. Again, there's going to be two passages we'll read. We're going to read a passage from Colossians and we're going to go back to Galatians. But first, Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 9 with me. Starting in verse 9, 9 through 11. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old man or the old self with its practices <clears throat> and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, in which there's no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. And then go back a few pages to Galatians. And that black Bible was page 148. Galatians, go to Galatians chapter 3. And we'll stay here on purpose. Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 27. Galatians 3, 27, which we'll hit on in our first hour next week. Which I think I'm doing that one. Yeah, I'm doing that one. Galatians chapter 3, start at verse 27 to 29. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, his seed, heirs according to promise. Nate and Damien Blue. They're good friends of mine in high school. And they were brothers. We hung out together. Actually, Nate and I became really close friends. Matter of fact, I was messaging Nate through WhatsApp just on Thursday, I think it was. It was Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday this past week. And him and I still keep in touch. He lives in Spring, Texas. We did everything together. And we would ride everywhere in what Nate would call his Japanese Cadillac, a 1972 Toyota Supra. He called it his Japanese Cadillac. There's lots of fond memories in that little Supra. Good times, good times. We did everything together. We did crazy. Oh, I was going to tell you, um, Nate, uh, for those of you... Um, 30 and under, you have no idea what I'm talking about. For those of you, maybe 35 and older, you'll know what I'm talking about. Remember the old cell phones they would put in the middle, there in the dash, and then they would have the little antenna up above on the, on the cars. And then you would, you would drive, you would know somebody had a car, a car phone because they had that little antenna. So what Nate did, he bought like one of the fake ones. And it would light up and everything and glow 
And so we'd be driving. This is in San Jose, California. We're driving all over the place. He'd go, Jimmy, 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 act like you're, act like you're, he'd always call me Jimmy. Jimmy, act like you're talking on the phone. I'd be in the front, I'm, Nate's driving, I'm in the front seat, Damien's in the back, he's sitting like this, you know, we're just like, and so I get on the phone and be like, yeah, not, as I'm talking, so we pull up next to somebody, and he's, it would usually be like a BMW or something like that, he would do, and, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> so then he would pull up next to a BMW, and I'd be like, I'm talking, and I'd look over, and the people would be like, you know, because you see this 1972, and yet cell phone is just funny. We just did stupid stuff like that. It was just kind of. <laughs> a note about Nate and Damien. They're black. Dark skinned. But the whole race thing never came up between us. Maybe within the families. But it was not something that ever crossed our minds. Matter of fact, when I was messaging Nate, I was telling him, said, you know, that, we, that never even something that we even, even thought about that. He's, and he messaged back, he said, I know. It was not, we, didn't, we didn't think about that. We were, we were brothers. As a matter of fact, um, Nate, uh, um, he created, started his own rap group. And so we were, the three of us were a rap group. And uh, we, we had thought about calling ourselves Oreo. <laughs> I, I'd be in the middle, you know, so... And it stand for our redeemers eliminating our oppressor. Never went anywhere. But But it never came up with us. It it just wasn't, we didn't think that way. But now, according to Black Lives Matter and critical race theory and intersectionality, I'm racist against blacks just because I'm white. Actually, I'm half white. The other half of me is Mexican. I told you I wanted to do a response, a biblical response to Black Lives Matter, critical race theory and intersectionality. I had a friend of mine, I told him I was preaching on this. He, he messaged me back. He's all about time. I'm like, okay. But I didn't want to go with the flow in May or June, July, August, or even last month. But I decided to wait till now especially with the election coming up and the things that you're being bombarded with by both sides. What does the Bible have to say about Black Lives Matter? What does the Bible say about critical race theory? What does the Bible have to say about intersectionality? I have it, sorry, I didn't put the title there. And, And I wanted to land, just to make sure that we're here, we'll launch from this into definition of these ideologies what they are I wanted to make sure we camp here because as far as Paul is concerned in the gospel he says there's neither Jew nor Greek and so that's Jew you're either Jew or you're not that's all color shades of skin And the end of verse 28, you are all one in Christ Jesus. What unites us is the gospel. And the church needs to remember that. They've lost sight of that. Reasons. What are the reasons and the importance of this message? I've got three. 
Now, actually center upon two, but first, some Christians may use these terms, but don't really understand what they're saying. So this message will inform, but also help you, notice, to be gracious to them. Christians are using these terms and throwing these terms around and speaking about these ideologies and thinking they're of God, but they really have no idea what they're talking about. Now, some do, but there's some Christians that don't. And so this will help you, it will inform you, but also help you not to tell them where they're off, but to be gracious to them. The second reason, and it's, uh, this is the most important reason, is going to be the third reason. The second is church disunity. What has happened in the political realm has now happened in the church. Among Christians, we are a Southern Baptist church. So it's even happened within the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention. And you might say, what do you mean in the political realm or in the church? This is what I mean. In the political realm, there is no room for a healthy, civil, calm, peaceful discussion or debate about these things. Or anything else for that matter. There's just name calling, anger, hatred, rage, blowing the person off as a racist, bigot, Marxist, blah, 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 blah. White supremacist. That's all that is. And, and, and that's what's happened within the political realm. You cannot have a civil, calm, peaceful discussion with somebody. But we're not going to be talking about the political realm in this message. In, in some sense, quite honestly, understand what I say, in some sense, I don't really care about that, nor should you. We are Christians who care about the kingdom of God. America can go to hell and everything else. All, Christ, all the Christians can go to hell, but what's going to last forever is the kingdom of God. It, it, it's for eternity. So keep, keep that in mind. But this is why it's a problem because this is happening in the church even to the point of saying that you're, you're not a brother or sister in Christ if you reject, throw out, or even question these viewpoints or ideologies. Even if you ask questions about Black Lives Matter, even if you ask about critical race theory or intersectionality, you're a racist. You're a white supremacist. You're this. You're a bigot. Wait a second. I thought we were Christians here. It has created major tension within the church. Oh, and plus, a Christian can now play the race card or the BLM card or the CRT card or the intersectionality card. You can play that card now. Well, you're just being. Well, you're just being. And that, that doesn't you are all one in Christ Jesus. Remember what Paul said? This is happening within churches. You know what's also connected to this? Is then now, real issues, real hurts, and real pains and suffering don't get addressed and handled. Real people don't get the help that they need. Now it's just a matter of debating. 
You know what? Racism is real. It does happen. And you know what? It is sin. It's sinful. It's wrong. Oppression is real. It happens. It's sin. It's wrong. Real people need help. There's created church disunity. And then of course, what's going to be the last one, which is most important, third, the gospel's at stake. The very gospel itself, this very truth, what unites us is the Lord Jesus Christ. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. You're clothed with Christ because we've turned from our sin and we've put our trust in Jesus alone you should be condemned. Somebody asked me on Friday, do you believe homosexuals should go to hell? I said, everybody should go to hell. Everyone should go to hell. We should all be condemned forever. But God is gracious and kind. God is merciful and gentle. He sent Jesus who took on flesh. He lived the perfect life, the darker skin Jesus. He wasn't white with blue eyes. Sorry to burst your bubble. Probably dark eyes like me. He died for sinners in their place. He physically resurrected from the dead. Repent and trust Christ. It doesn't, want, doesn't matter what shade of skin color you are. Trust Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, says Jesus. But that very gospel is at stake because now I'm trying to oppress you because I'm an authority, I'm a pastor. I, I'm stained by my half-whiteness now. Tom Nettles said this, quote, theology becomes an expression not of closely reasoned biblical exegesis open to and true for all, but a contest between different cultures, races, ages, and genders None of this encourages Christian unity and humility, but suspicion and fragmentation, end quote. This is why we need to understand these terms, these definitions. This is why a message like this is important because the gospel and its promises are at stake. And, And if you know anything about Galatians, Paul says, you as church members should be so radically against anything that's going to be against the gospel. That's your job as a church member. You should hold fast to the gospel and don't, have to go, go, don't go after some other gospel which is really no gospel at all. Dr. Al Mohler, president of Southern Theological Seminary, he said this, quote, in quotes, Black Lives Matter, taken as a sentence, is profoundly true. God made every human being in his image, which means every life on the planet at every stage matters. Every human being possesses full human dignity and by extension, full human rights. But it's not that simple. Black Lives Matter, now capital B, capital L, capital M, did not emerge merely as a sentence those three words function as a message and a platform making a significant political statement. And yet the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, last year, openly endorsed Black Lives Matter. 
He posted a video on Facebook and he said, Southern Baptists, when you say it clearly, as a gospel issue, black lives matter. What? Now, to his credit, J.D. Greer, at some unspecified level, does not endorse all the policy prescriptions and worldview, which we'll look at in a moment, of BLM as presented in their statement of belief, but this is concerning. This statement that he makes brought division. So so should we endorse Black Lives Matter? Uh, Should we march with them? Should we endorse and promote critical race theory? Using it as it's said in the Resolution 9 from last year in the National Convention of the Southern Baptist Convention, but Resolution 9 said they are analytical tools. Is that what critical race theory is? Should we use the mindset of intersectionality? Let me be blunt for you and say this graciously. Again, remember, we're doing this to inform us but also help us to be gracious, right? Let me be blunt. Black Lives Matter, critical race theory and intersectionality, these ideologies contradict scripture and are antithetical to the church and the advancement of God's kingdom, period. They should not be endorsed at all. They are godless, God-hating, gospel-denying, church-destroying ideologies. This is serious. You know what we need? We need the Jewish darker-skinned Savior named Jesus who's the Messiah, to save us from the evil tendencies of all skin colors. We need to see each other as saved, loved by Christ within the church. Friends, there's, there's, there's really two races. There's a race under Adam, and then there's the new human race in Christ. God is establishing his kingdom. We as Christians are the new race of humanity where you have all nations, all languages of all different shades of color, skin color, that are all one in Christ worshiping him together. We're the new humanity. We need to look at these ideologies through the lens of Scripture as we sang the ancient words with the gospel at the forefront of our minds and Christ as our focus. We are all at the same level. We are sinful beggars in need of redemption no matter how much uh, melanin you have in your skin. I have more melanin than some of you because I'm half Mexican, although you wouldn't know it from some of my kids are like, wait, is that your kid? Like white-skinned, you know, and everything. You know, look at one of my kids. One has whiter skin, lighter skin. The other is like darker. You're like, what is it? Yeah, that's the melanin. I don't know. God does that. No matter the level of melanin you have in your skin, we are all at the same level. We're just sinful beggars. 
We need Jesus to save us. So with that said, we need to define Black Lives Matter, which I've referred to already, BLM, critical race theory, which I'll refer to CRT, intersectionality. And let's define, you, you'll immediately see how contrary they are to God's word and how much we need the gospel to free us all. And, and this is really, this is just a tip of the iceberg type message. I would encourage you, because my information relied on articles from the Founders Ministries. Go to Founders Ministries, a, a critical analysis of Resolution 9. Uh, there's three parts on that by Tom Nettles. An exposition of Black Lives Matter, which is really helpful. Then there's other related articles. I would encourage you as well, if you've got an hour to spare, watch Vody Bauckham's message on cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism, that is, I watched it twice. I've watched it before, like months past, and then I think it was from last year uh, that he did a message. It's pretty fresh. And I watched it again this week. Vody Bauckham does a great job, especially defining intersectionality, which I'll use that from Dr. Bauckham. Thank you, Dr. Bauckham, for doing that. It's just very helpful. So I would encourage you, Founders of Ministries, those articles, do searches on, with those words. You'll find lots of information. And I would encourage you, watch Vody Bauckham's message on cultural Marxism. And it's heavy. He gets into a lot of things, but then he shows you some practical outworkings of that, of the ideology of cultural Marxism. It's very helpful. And again, I, I want to make sure you're understanding something. Remember, we're not evaluating this from a political viewpoint, but how they contradict a Christian worldview. So keep that in mind as we go through these things. Black Lives Matter. I'll start there. BLM, we need to understand the undergirding of this thought, which is rooted in Marxism. Classical Marxism, but even more so with cultural Marxism. Go to Vody Bakken's message, you'll see how he defines that. In Marxism, the basis is this. There's those who oppress, the oppressors, and those oppressed, the oppressees. Apparently, BLM has recently removed what we believe from their webpage. You can't find it anymore. I've looked everywhere on it. You will no longer find these statements on their website, but they still hold the following ideas. They took it off because they're, I think they're catching a lot of heat from it. But this is what they say. First, we are unapologetically black in our positioning. In affirming that black lives matter, we need not clarify our position. What does that mean? What do they mean by positioning? Tim and Klein, he's, he was evaluating um, Founders Ministries. There's a whole three-part series on Black Lives Matter. Listen to what he says about this. Quote, the central bias considered when discussing positionality or positioning has to do with how an oppressor, white, heteronormative, cisgender male, that's going to come up later, so don't forget that, how an oppressor is committing epistemic violence against marginalized persons by, intentionally or not, disregarding and thus disvaluing their experiential truth claims and therefore their unique status as knowers. What does that mean? In other words, quote, he says again, 
because the knowledge of the oppressed is derived from their experience as the oppressed. To reject the knowledge is to reject the person. And because of modern therapeutic conceptions of the self, to reject or devalue a person is to do violence to them. For example, if you denounce gay marriage, you're now not just devaluing gay marriage, but you're devaluing the person, so now you're doing violence against them. That's what's meant by this positionality. Their position is black, the oppressed. That is why there cannot be a conversation, especially any kind of disagreement. If you don't come from this black position, then you're being oppressive, see? Then you're doing violence. You're just being white. And that's final. Here's two more statements. One is longer than the other from BLM. And they're very self-explanatory. Listen, quote, We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. The transgender is, is really the ideology that's behind Black Lives Matter. Later, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. And later on, we foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather, the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless she or he or they disclose otherwise. Those are the beliefs. That's the agenda of BLM. That's what they believe. That's their focal point. Again, in reference to politics, it's one thing. But notice how this is contradictory to God's word, to scripture. Critical race theory, defining that. Tom Maskell wrote the following in an article in Founders Ministries. Listen to this. It's critical race theory, quote, it's a collection of activists and scholars interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. It not only tries to understand our social situation, but to change it. It sets out not only to ascertain how society organizes itself along racial lines and hierarchies, but to transform it for the better. And that's from the book Critical Race Theory and Introduction that he quoted. Uh, Tom Maskell later on in his article, he says, arising from a Marxist and therefore an atheistic and materialistic viewpoint, critical race theory and BLM, they're coming from a Marxist viewpoint which is atheistic and materialistic. That's contradicting to God's word, right? CRT assumes that, quote, Racism is ingrained in the, very, in the fabric and system of the American society. This assumption means that, quote, 
the individual racist need not exist in order for institutional racism to be pervasive in the dominant culture. Now he's quoting from UCLA's School of Public Affairs now. This presupposition, combined with the Marxist view that all relationships are best understood in in terms of power dynamics, causes CRT to assert that existing power structures, quote, are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color, end quote. Again, quoting from UCLA's School of Public Affairs. So, as Robin D'Angelo says in her book, White Fragility, you don't ask yourself if you're a racist. You don't ask yourself that. But more of, quote, how and where our inherent racism manifests itself. Now, what's the problem with that? Listen, Tom Nettles talks about this. In his analysis of critical race theory, he says this, quote, the entire project of critical theory emerged out of and is predicated on a rejection of basic biblical worldview. It's impossible to view our fundamental problem as our innate sinfulness and simultaneously to believe that we can achieve true liberation through political action or economic reform. He says it's impossible to accept the doctrine of scripture and to simultaneously reject the notion of objective truth. He says it's impossible to adhere to the doctrine of the imago dei, the image of God, and to simultaneously hold that our most basic identity is self or socially created. What's happened now is that has become a poison that's moved into the church. Again, we're looking at these ideologies. We're looking at how these ideologies contradict God's word, not the political results of these ideologies. I mean, that's, that's one thing. We're not talking about that in terms of politics. We're talking about how this idea is moving into the church. Now I will say this. This should also cause us to realize how many different shades of skin color do we have within our church. We should think about that. We should be considering, are we all just white? Are we thinking about, are we thinking about how is, is the kingdom just white? No, there's different shades, right? It should cause us to think about that. Keep in mind, Black Lives Matter, BLM, and CRT is infiltrating into the church and the very gospel is at stake and, and now last intersectionality. That phrase, that word was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, 1989. What is intersectionality? It's based upon the hegemony. Hegemony is the dominance or the leadership. What is the hegemony of our culture? And this is from Lodi Bakim, which was very helpful. The hegemony is this. White, male, heterosexual, cisgendered, able-bodied, native-born American. That's the hegemony. And if you're not that then you're a minority. He 
uh, Vody Bakum asked this question. You ever thought about the fact, why are women considered a minority? There's actually more women than men in population. Mm-hmm. He says, because they say it's the hegemony. It's the hegemonic power. Now, if you are that, uh, white, male, heterosexual, cisgender, able-bodied, native-born American. If you are that, excuse me, if you're not that, you're a victim of cultural hegemony which is established by the white, male, heterosexual, cisgender, blah, blah, blah. established by them. If you are that, White, male, heterosexual, cisgender, able-bodied. I have to read it because I can't remember all the terms. If you are that, then you're privileged. Period. So what does intersectionality have to do to this? The idea that you don't have those things, you are oppressed. And the level of oppression and the kind of oppression you experience combines itself in these areas or with these intersections for instance what if you're white female heterosexual cisgender able-bodied native-born American now that intersects here you're, you're female so there's a little oppression that you have here but what if you're black female heterosexual cisgender able-bodied native-born notice it's those two now now you're being oppressed even more. There's the intersection there. But what if you're black, female, transgender? White, black, female, you're going to be heterosexual maybe. Transgender. Notice the intersections of that. It's going to change in how much you're being oppressed. That's intersectionality. Again, I, I advise you, Watch Vody Bakum's message on this because he really shows what's happening here. A- and so now you have a level of oppression that's being based upon these people and now they're the ones that have more of an experience of what really true suffering is versus somebody else who doesn't. How, how does that correspond with God's word? It doesn't. So why is all of this such a big deal? Why? Because now... Church unity under Christ our Lord and King goes out the window. Now I, or you, can use the race car's leverage. On the race side, there can be domination. On the white side, there can be fear. Let, let, let me explain this to you. And Vody Bogdan does a great job explaining this. You saw about how he has a relationship with Tom Askell, who's white. The temptation is he can use that card against Tom and say, you're just being white if there's something really going on in his life that Tom needs to address in his life. You're just, you're just being this. He can do that to him. Or flip it around. Tom might not share anything with Vody because he fears the repercussions of that and that he might say, oh, you're just being a racist. See, see what happens now? That's not creating unity within a church. It's just creating disunity. This is what's happened. 
This is happening in churches now. And if you're not woke, which means you're alert to racial injustice, then you're a denier, you're a skeptic. And there should probably be racists. To disagree means you're a racist. Friends, we, we really need to understand something here. This is what we need to understand. Uh, Riley and I, we've been going through this, started going through this book um, about the church by Sinclair Ferguson. And in the first chapter, Sinclair Ferguson says this about the church. The church is the expression of the presence of God's kingdom. The church, we are the expression of the very presence of God's kingdom. This is who we are. And if these ideologies begin to filter in the church, that is not going to create a kingdom that's worshiping Christ. It's just going to divide us based upon this color of our skin. Thus, the gospel's at stake. It can be questioned. It can even be denied. And the nature and the centrality of the church as the expression of God's kingdom is undermined by the very fabric of these ideologies. What do we, mean, what do we need to remember? That God is a just God. He should condemn us all. And yet Jesus died in the place of sinners no matter how much melanin they have in their skin. He died for all those who do what? Who repent and trust Christ. And that's what we as a church should foster. We should say, come all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We should say that to everyone. Come and fill this room with all the different shades of color and let's do this. Let's show the world what it's going to be like in the future. Riley and I, I think we were talking about that, weren't we? About what the future is going to, what's the future going to look like? Let's show that to the world. Let's have the white and black and the browns like me and shades. Let's have us be within the church merge together as one in Christ and show the world that their thinking and their thought process and their worldview is wrong. And it does not create unity. But we have unity in Christ. That's what we need to remember. Remember the gospel. Can we pray? Father, help us. Our, our, our tendency is to allow the culture to infiltrate our minds, to allow the world to infiltrate our minds. And Lord, we do admit there's times of sin, of racism that we have in our hearts. So we admit that, we confess that, and we repent. And we thank you that you bring forgiveness only in Christ. We pray for us as a church. Help us to be united in gospel truth. Not in ideologies 
by godless, gospel-denying, God-hating, church-destroying people. But upon your word, as we just sang, the ancient words, changing me, changing you. Father, we come with open hearts. Let your word change us. Do that by the power of your spirit, we ask. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that, Jesus, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. None of these ideologies will stand against or destroy it. Though countries and political kingdoms and powers rise and fall, may your kingdom, and we know it will, remain firm. Help us, we pray. I encourage you to take a few moments of silence. You know I like to do that. Just blocking out everything else from your mind. Maybe this might be a good time for you to recite the gospel, remind yourself of gospel truth. Maybe the spirit brought to your mind uh, a sin of racism in your own heart. Maybe you need to repent of that. I don't know. But take this time between you and the Lord. Just a few moments, just quiet. You can reflect upon God's word, his truth. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And after a few moments, we'll, we'll sing and we'll pray. But just a few moments of silence between you and the Lord. Please do that.